Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Michelle Leslie. And I'm Amy Spreeman. Thank you for joining us. You know, October 31st is just a few weeks away, and you know what that means. That's right. It's Reformation Day. Now, we kind of joked a bit about that last week. But October 31st really is Reformation Day, and we thought you would want to know more about the commemoration of one of the most important events in Christian history. And thinking back to what we said last week about ways to honor and glorify God through the activities we participate in on October the 31st, you might find that a Reformation Day celebration rather than a Halloween celebration is a perfect solution. So what is Reformation Day anyway? Amy, can you get us started on the backstory on that? Of course, it would be my great pleasure. This is such a great topic. And if you're not familiar with the Reformation, sit back and just um, take a listen. And we hope you're blessed by this. And as most of our listeners can probably guess from the name, Reformation Day commemorates the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. So if you went to a public school, maybe you studied at least a little bit about the Protestant Reformation in history class, uh, because it had such a profound impact on politics history, and culture. Uh, But those were really the ripple effects of what was primarily a biblical and theological event, and a very important biblical and and theological event, of course. Uh, In fact, it's been said that if you're ranking events in Christian history in uh, in order of importance, first you'd have all the events, of course, recorded in the Bible, followed by the closing of the canon of Scripture. And then number three would be the Protestant Reformation. So uh, you can see how important that is. And yet many Christians today are unaware of this landmark incident in their heritage, which birthed the Protestant Church. That's right. And I would say that for Christians, knowing the history of the Reformation is second only to knowing your Bible. It is that important. Yeah. And not only that, it's so fascinating. I mean, if you're you're somebody who loves a great story, you can't find a better one than the Reformation. There's adventure, there's intrigue, danger, good versus evil, even a little romance thrown in there from time to time. <laughs> Just reading the stories of the people who were involved in the Reformation is just really fascinating. So obviously we can't We can't possibly cover every aspect of this era that spanned many years across several countries and involved so many people. So what we want to do tonight is give you a brief introduction to the Reformation and then point you to lots of great resources that can that you can take your time exploring. So be sure to listen all the way through to the end of this episode. Well, we always want you to do that, but be especially sure today and uh, and be sure to check those show notes for lots of great resources. So let's Let me introduce you to one of the greatest stories in history, a story that we as Christians are still living out today. And just like it, any good story starts once upon a time, roughly the 1400s and 1500s is what we're talking about. Um, But back then, Catholicism was virtually the only known form of Christianity in Western Europe. It was monolithic. And over the years, it had grown increasingly unbiblical and corrupt. And as the years went by, more and more true Christians began to see the need for the church to clean up its act and get back to being true to Scripture. 
Yeah, there were a lot of problems with the Catholic doctrine and practices at that time, but one of the main issues was the selling of indulgences. Now, the Catholic Church had created this idea of the treasury of merit. It was sort of a a heavenly bank account of merit deposited by Christ, Mary, the saints, and others as a result of their good works. Right. It was kind of like you know, they had done all the good deeds they needed to do to make them righteous in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. And they had enough good deed credit, so to speak, left over (laughs) that they put it into a rainy day fund to share with people who hadn't done enough good deeds for a price, that is. Right. So when church members sinned, uh, they could purchase something called an indulgence, which was like asking the church to transfer funds from the treasury of merit into the sinner's account. So the indulgence basically excused the sinner from a certain amount of time in purgatory after he or she died or punishment for that sin on earth before he or she died. And purgatory ain't just a ski resort in Colorado, right, Amy? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Purgatory, which is still part of the Catholic teaching today, is actually, they call it a place uh, that Christians go to after death to finish working off any sins they didn't sufficiently pay for with good deeds during their earthly lives. Of course, we know that the Bible doesn't teach any such thing. We can't atone for our own sins in the slightest way before or after death. Jesus paid it all, as that uh, lovely old hymn reminds us. Amen. His death, burial, and resurrection atone for all of our sin. And at the moment of our salvation, the great exchange takes place. Jesus takes away all of our sin and gives us all of his righteousness all at once for all eternity for free. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says. We don't have to work off any sins, and we don't have to pay money to buy a little of Christ or Mary's or the saints' righteousness. So this whole idea of indulgences and purgatory is completely antithetical to what the Bible teaches. So I guess we can see why Christians saw a need for Catholicism to reform itself. Yeah, one of those Christians was Martin Luther, who was at the time a Roman Catholic monk. And through the study of God's Word, the Holy Spirit convicted Luther that a number of doctrines and practices he would have to implement as a priest and a a theology professor in the Catholic system just didn't line up with Scripture, and he wanted something done about it. So in those days, uh, 1517 to be exact, if you wanted to post a public notice, you nailed it to the door of the church so that everyone could see it. So Martin Luther drew up a list of grievances against uh, Catholic doctrine, and he nailed them to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, this list of grievances came to be known as the 95 Thesis, and we're going to link these theses in the show notes so you can read all of them. That's right. And we would encourage you to read all 95 of those theses because it will really help you to understand where Catholicism went off the rails, biblically speaking, and where it still conflicts with Scripture today. And besides, it's just something, it's a part of your history as a Protestant Christian that you need to be familiar with. So go ahead and read those. Don't worry, it won't take long to read. Most of those theses are only about one sentence long, some of them maybe two or three sentences, but it doesn't take very long to read. So, Brother Martin nails his theses to the church door in protest. That's where we get the term Protestant. And 
can open worms everywhere. Yeah, that's right. He really stirred things up in his desire to engage Catholic leadership to work toward biblical changes, and not just about indulgences. He also called for the church to conform to scripture by abandoning its unbiblical practices and teachings regarding the doctrines of salvation, uh, religious authority, the nature of the church, and the essence of Christian living. And one thing that's sometimes misunderstood about Martin Luther, especially at this point in the story, is that he wasn't trying to break away from Catholicism and develop a a different system of Christianity. He was basically doing the same thing a lot of us have done and had to do in our own churches. Uh, You see something going on that's not biblical. Uh, You don't want to leave this church you've grown to love over the years. You just want it to repent and get back on track. Yeah. So when you have to take a stand against your church, going woke or using books or music by false teachers or allowing women to preach or things like that, you're following right in Martin Luther's footsteps. As long as we live in a fallen world, there will always be a need to reform the church. So it's easy to see why Semper Reformanda, or always reforming, was the slogan of the Reformation. Yes. And unfortunately, though, uh, although Martin Luther made a monumental contribution to Christianity, for which we are still indebted to him today, the Catholic leaders of his time didn't take too kindly to his ideas, and he suffered greatly at their hands. So um, let's look at the year 1521 at the Diet of Worms. I'm just kidding. It's actually uh, pronounced Diet, which means Assembly of Worms, the German pronunciation for the town in which this meeting took place. So I promise nobody is eating worms in their diet. (laughs) So anyway, um, but it's spelled like diet of worms. So I I think a lot of people kind of chuckle at that. But um, this is where Luther was put on trial by the Holy Roman Empire for heresy. He was presented with 25 books that he had authored and was asked to recant the supposed heresies that he had written in them. So after spending the night in prayer and with counsel, Luther returned to the trial the next day and refused to recant anything in his writings that lined up with Scripture. Here's his quote. He said, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of scriptures, he said, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Now, some of our listeners might be wondering, where's his statement, here I stand, I can do no other. But as I was right. as I was studying this for um, to get ready for our show tonight, I I actually read that uh, a lot of historians don't believe he actually said that. It wasn't in any of the transcripts from the the meetings or anything like that. So it's a great statement, but he may not have actually said it. But I mean, even though it's still a great movie line. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Wow. I mean, that that is heroic. I mean, I know how scary it is just to have to address the unbiblical issues that have come up in my own church over the years. But 
Luther stood up to the Holy Roman Empire, which was the reigning authority in his world at that time. And he said these things knowing that they had the power to imprison him, to excommunicate him, or even to execute him. Mm. And he put his, his career, his freedom, even his life on the line to stand up for the truth of Scripture. And we owe him and the God who empowered him to do that such a debt. It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, as you might have guessed, Luther's answer was not the answer they wanted to hear. Uh, He was convicted of heresy, and he was excommunicated. And even though he had been promised safe passage home from from the trial, there was a private plot afoot to ambush and kill him as he traveled. But fortunately, one of Luther's supporters, Fritz Prince Frederick the Wise staged a kidnapping as Luther was making his way home and hid Luther at Wartburg Castle, where Luther spent the next 10 years translating the Bible into German. And and that was another one of Luther's issues with Catholicism. At that time, the church did not allow common people to read the Bible for themselves, and that was considered uh, heresy. They were only allowed to attend Mass and hear whatever the priest chose to tell them about the Bible, which, as we've already learned, wasn't always true what they said. So um, even if commoners had been allowed to access the Bible, it wouldn't have done any good for most of them because the Bible was only available in Latin. And that was the language of the educated elite. If an uneducated commoner could read at all, it was likely that he could only read his native language, which would be German. Um, And so mass was also conducted in Latin, which means that even if the truth of God's word was being preached, the people still wouldn't have been able to understand it. So Luther strongly believed that if the common man had access to the Bible in his native language, the false doctrine of Catholicism and the truth of the gospel would become so obvious to them just as God had made it obvious to him. That's right. And that's why we even have such a thing as Bible translators today. Bible translation was a huge blessing that was a result of the Reformation. I mean, if you own a Bible in your native language, you can thank God for moving upon people like Martin Luther, John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, Miles Coverdale, and so many more who because it was against the law, were persecuted and imprisoned and even executed for translating the Bible into the language of the people and getting it into their hands. So that's just another great thing that came out of the Reformation. It's pretty amazing. And so many of the Reformers were truly heroes of the faith, risking everything, you know, to stand up for the truth of Scripture over false doctrine. And do we have that kind of conviction and fortitude today? Well, I, I hope and pray that if I'm ever in a situation like the situations that Martin Luther and John Knox, John Calvin, Jan Hus, and all the other brave reformers mm-hmm. faced, that I'll have the courage to stand for Christ and his word, no matter what it costs me. And, you know, wow. something that has helped me with that, because I, I sometimes, you know, you just sit and wonder if something, if my life were threatened for the truth of scripture, would I stand up for it? But something that has, has helped me think through that is, uh, is is learning about these and other heroes of the Reformation, which is a really super reason to celebrate Reformation Day. Learning the stories yeah. of these men and women, there were a lot of women too, uh, of the Reformation who were just 
ordinary folks like you and me, it'll really inspire and encourage you. So we're going to put lots of links in the show notes, but I want to mention a few of them too here here at the end. Um, first of all, on my blog, michellelesley.com, during the week leading up to Reformation Day, I'll have several articles that focus on the history of the Reformation and the people of the Reformation, and particularly some of the notable women who were instrumental in the Reformation. And that's going to be October 26th through the 30th at michellelesley.com. Yeah, that'll be good, Michelle. And next, we want to call your attention to a special offer from Ligonier. They're they're um, offering the Luther and Reformation video teaching series with R.C. Sprawl and the ebook edition of The Legacy of Luther, edited by R.C. and uh, Stephen Nichols, absolutely free of charge. That's great. Um, but it's only for a limited time. So you need to uh, click on that link in the show notes and grab them quick. That's right. And if you're a movie buff, God's Good Providence has been following you because there are a lot of great movies and documentaries out there about Martin Luther and the Reformation, and many of them are absolutely free to watch online. So let me let me just mention a couple. There's Luther, The Life and Legacy of the German Reformer, which is free to watch on YouTube, and we'll have links to all of these. Uh, also free on YouTube, and you can also find it on my blog, I put it on there today, is the 1953 theatrical movie, Martin Luther, which I thought was very good, and it was, it was actually even nominated for two Academy Awards, if that kind of thing is is important to you. So those are both really good and those are both free on YouTube. And then if you have Amazon Prime, get on that search bar and type in Martin Luther or John Knox or John Wycliffe or, you know, whatever reformer you know of. Or you can even put in more general terms like Reformation or Christianity or Bible, and you'll get a whole bunch of hits for movies on the Reformation, uh, documentaries, things like that about people who were involved in the Reformation. Um, There's one really good one in particular called Knox, K-N-O-X, and that one's about John Knox. That one's really good, but there's a lot of good ones on there. Oh, you got to go see that one. one. It's good. I'm excited to curl up on uh, October 31st and, you know, everyone else can go celebrate, uh, you know, those things that other people do. And uh, I think my hubby, hubby and I are just going to uh, surf and try to find these movies. So uh, these all sound so great, great opportunities to learn about history. And uh, some of our listeners might even want to grab one of those movies, invite some friends over and make it a Reformation yeah. Day watch party. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> great ideas and whatever you choose to do on October 31st or this week, we want to thank Thank you for listening to another episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. And thank you for your support, too, and your prayers and your encouragement. And until next time, keep reforming and walk worthy.